Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, your life improvement series starts now. Hello, hello, friends. Today's going to be a great day. You know why? Why, Maria? She's never going to get it, guys. I'm quitting. It's over. You know why it's going to be a great day? Because I don't need Kelsey to say why. It's because we are going to know better and get better. And we're going to do it together because we're better together, friends. Uh, Welcome to the show, everyone. If you are a new listener here on uh, the Heal Squad, that's what we do every day. We know better to get better. And then we do better. And we do it all together. So uh, welcome to this little pod of greatness in here. Um, I love this journey that we're on. And uh, I'm healing every single day in every way. And I hope you are too. And if you're new, you will. I promise. Right, Kelsey? Right, Carolina? Girl, yes. <laughs> I like I like um, what you just said, our little pot of greatness. I mean, you know, it's true. It we have amazing true. people on this show every single day mm-hmm. that help us, that inspire us, that teach us something new. And our guest today is going to help us with that as well. But first, our quote of the day To fall in love with yourself is the first secret to happiness. And that is Robert Morley. Heel Squad, we have an amazing guest on the show today. You might know her from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Her name is Crystal Kung Minkoff. She's been a regular on the show since 2021. She's also an entrepreneur and co-founder of Real Coco, a coconut beverage company. We are chatting all about uh, being a child of immigrants, what that kind of entails, her journey being a, a Chinese American. And then also we deep dive into uh, caretaking and our parents' journeys. Uh, she had to take care of her dad with Alzheimer's for nine years. And she describes in detail how painful that journey was. It was a very emotional interview. And I feel like any one of us who has had to go on that journey of taking care of someone will relate, will understand. And if you haven't, It is such an important conversation to be aware of because that day will come, unfortunately, 
And there are a lot of tips in here for you to start preparing for, start looking into, and, um, and you know, just be ahead, right? So uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Crystal. I guess first, I'd love to chat a little bit, being uh, an immigrant daughter myself, a little bit about kind of what it was like to, to grow up uh, in that way as well. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, it's like all, you know, so, but I do remember constantly feeling like comparing like what their life must be like, even though we were all essentially the same growing up in LA, um, sort of their dynamics in the household seems so different than mine. Ours was very structured and, um, but it was just ingrained in, in every which way of my life, um, in terms of just where we sat at the table, you know, and I remember, um, my girlfriend, Kimberly later as, as adult, she was like, like, it feels so severe, you know? And I was like, well, to you it's severe, but, and she's Caucasian, you know, very grew up in LA many generations. I'm like, to me, it's structure and it's like respect. So it's where I always knew where to sit in every restaurant because the grandparents sit on the inside and it's generational. And as you get younger, you, so I would always sit at the, you know, like, and you think about like seats when you go out, you know, you're facing the room. So like that, that's a different way of thinking about it in terms of hierarchy, but that's how it was in just everywhere we went with my family. So we always knew where to sit. And that was really indicative of how I always knew where I was in my place in life. That's actually kind of cool because you're insulating the the grandparents, right? And protecting them. Yeah. I think that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And as you get older, you know, it's it shifts. And now my kids are at the end and they know exactly where to sit too. So you do it with your kids too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They know. And it's interesting because you know, when I met Rob, he was, you know, a successful director and he probably sat on the inside at dinner tables, but he knew exactly where to sit and he was always on the outside and he loved every second of it. He just really absorbed and appreciated sort of how that family dynamic worked. So he knew exactly yeah. he was on the outside and <laughs> he had a so word did to you in. grow up speaking Chinese first? So um I my parents only spoke Chinese and we would always speak back in English. And I think that is a very common first generation kid thing to do because we wanted to be, I wanted to be American, you know, I was American, but in the way I thought American was. Um, And then, so my, so that's, yeah. So I understand it. Your first language had to be Chinese. Well, no, my first language I, I think of is, I mean, I guess so. Like that's, all I listened to at home, but I was like, mine was Greek. My first language is Greek. My parents only spoke Greek. Yeah. I remember going to school or, or Greek. No, we weren't allowed to speak English. Right. So I guess I think English is still my first language because it's what I spoke. Um, but like, if I go to my grandparents, they never, they couldn't speak English. So I'd only speak uh, Chinese to them. But in my house, it was Chinese and then English back. It was like that all the time. What did your parents do for a living? Um, my mom, uh, didn't work when I was growing up, started working later. Um, she ended up becoming like a liaison, 
um, between China and, and U.S. with um, an architecture firm. While China was building infrastructure in that um, she brought like she helped connect American companies to China because my mom was she, my mom is like the social butterfly in both countries. She just knew everybody. And uh, my dad was an oral surgeon. Oh, wow. OK, so when they came to this country, they didn't speak any English. No, English, they did. No. No. So they must have at some point kind of learned because I would go to school and learn and come back and teach them. <laughs> so <laughs> um, my parents had been here for a long time. So, but my parents met in America because my dad was 23 years older than my mom. So he had emigrated here first and then my mom, and then they met many years later. Got it. Yeah. yeah, the being a child of immigrants is such a unique experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I think it, it's, it's very similar, like we're all kind of in the same boat when you're a child of immigrants, but, yeah. you know, there's variations, obviously, but that's why my big fat Greek wedding really connected with every culture. Sure. I mean, it's really a much, there are more children of immigrants in the world than not. Um, But that's what makes, you know, I think LA interesting because it's immigrant, they're immigrants from all over the world. Um, But my, it's funny, my dad was in America after he, since he passed, but he was here for, I don't know, 50 years and his English was still terrible. <laughs> so it was so funny. He was like, you know, being a surgeon, my dad was so sweet, so humble. And he's like, being a surgeon was such a good job for me because I just had to tell them what I was doing. And it was always the same, like 10 surgeries. And then I'd put them to sleep. <laughs> I wouldn't have Stop. to tell him because he felt so like embarrassed. He didn't know how to speak English well. So, oh, that's um, funny. Yeah. So it was like a good cheese. Like, and I remember when I was pre med and I, I decided not to go to medical school, he was like, oh, it's such, it's better for you because you always talk. You never stop talking. So, like, you know, <laughs> doctors don't talk that much. Yeah. Did, you know, I saw that you were pre med at one point. Do you feel like you were going down that path because that's what your parents wanted you to do? I think that's the only path I knew. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't allow myself to, um, open my mind and think of other options. And and I loved it. I loved science. I loved math. It was, I enjoyed it, but I think the pressure of growing up as a Chinese kid, as an immigrant's child is to do, you know, lead a path that, um, that they feel like they can go back to their, other immigrant, you don't understand, you know, mm-hmm. like other parents like, oh, my kid does this. Yep. It's a generational thing. It's, it's like, you want to make them proud. And, um, it's funny. They never pressured me. They weren't like, you need to be a doctor. I was just, you know, so when I told my dad, I wasn't, um, I wasn't going to go to medical school in the end. He was like, yeah, like that makes sense for you. <laughs> but he was like, you had to figure that on your own. My dad was really cool about it. Um, and my mom too, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, I I remember I struggled for a long time, a long time when I chose not to, because I just wanted to have Dr. Kung, you know, I wanted to have some sort of label Mm -hmm. as something that I thought had value. So then I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to law school. Or maybe I just was like, I had to go to higher education in my mind. Like that was my only plan. But And then what happened? Um, I met Rob. <laughs> and then I was, I kept teetering back and forth. So 
I was still thinking about medical school. It wasn't like final um, because it was still, I was still an undergrad, you know, and then I was looking up getting my JD and going to law school. And then eventually, and then we got, we got engaged very quickly. And so it was like, okay, so I'm going to get married and then think about it. So I just kept pushing it, you know, but one of my best friends, she's in her mid fifties and she's on her second PhD now at Pepperdine. So it's really inspiring me. I'm like, maybe I will go back, you know, and I'm not quite sure, but Wow. Business school or something. I don't know. But I ended up going to culinary school for fun. And I think I did that also in a way to like feel like I just think I needed like another something. Like it wasn't a degree that was that I felt like was the same, but it was like I needed to just I like school. I'm like I could be a professional um, student. (laughs) That's so funny. I, I had to trick myself into believing I loved school and I was really good and did great in my grades and stuff. But I look back, I'm like, I hated the social aspect of it. It was torture. <laughs> so Were you not I was like, like I hate school. Girl and- no, I suffered a lot. And then um, at some point it was like a weird thing where I was like, popular but didn't hang out with the popular kids like people mm-hmm. knew me or yeah. knew like I was cool with everybody but at the same time not yeah I get it yeah <laughs> I felt that way too I always I always felt like um I had like a space you know I, yeah I wasn't ever like a popular person at all like in a hundred percent never yeah yeah and it was That's so classic so I mean like my daughter's going to be eight next week. And like mean girls is like a, a, like a constant discussion amongst her friends. They like love it. So like everything is like related to that movie now, like, you know, she, this person that's this literally this morning, she was like lying in bed with me, like this person's so mean to me. And I'm like, she's a mean girl. And she's like, yeah, but like, everybody wants to be your friend. I'm like, no, they're just scared. of Like I literally am like following the movie and I'm like, Oh my God, like this is what she's heading into. Wow. but you have to go through those growing pains. And it's like, part of me is like, I want to like die for her. And like, I feel so bad. And at the same time, like we all went through it. And then it's like a nicer person if you get to the other side. True. Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. Your parents, um, I know that you lost your dad, I think what, like six years ago, probably now. Right. Yeah. Um, I just lost my mom under two years ago. Um, I'd love to know more about what you learned about Alzheimer's yeah. because, you know, it's, it's definitely a disease we are going to be dealing with more and more. The numbers are astronomical. And I think by 2025, the percentage of the country that's going to have it is, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a systemic problem and it's not going to go away because, um, with the new medical advances, everyone's getting older. Mm -hmm. So it's inevitable. Like as everyone keeps getting older, Alzheimer's is not reaching, it's not growing with that. So you're still starting at the same age. So then now the problem is not only going to be people with Alzheimer's, but how are you going to have caretakers? And you're going to pull those people out of the workforce because a lot of people can't afford it. And that was an issue that we were having. We were just really trying to figure out people think it's like, oh, it's like, it's so expensive. It's so expensive. Yeah, it's really painfully expensive. And we were even for to, people who have more. Money. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's really pain because you don't know when it ends. There's no end date. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
you know, I was, my dad was a lot older than my friend's parents because my dad had me in his fifties. So I was like sort of on my own, you know, experiencing this. And, um, my brother was living in China still, and he still was in China, but, um, so I really felt like alone, but I had Rob there to help me like, thank God. But, um, I think this is likely very normal for people who are suffering, like as caretakers, as family members suffering through this, I didn't know where to go. And so what I spent most of those early years while he started showing signs was to constantly testing. I would be like, let's like, I was like, we went to like UCLA and I'm like, let's, let's like do the cognitive testing. And like, you know, he would do the, like, it was like almost like homework, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I, it was almost like I was, I was spending so much time trying to prove that he didn't have it. Yeah. I wanted to find like one moment where I'm like, oh, he, he read that answer. Right. Like he doesn't have it. He's, He's just like, older. And yeah, like, I that's just what wanted every excuse. Cause it was just so scary and painful. And then um, when you reach, I think past 75, um, you're required to take a written test for your driver's license. It's just as you age. And of course, like I hated it. I was so afraid of it. And then, but I, you, you know, that's, there's a reason why they do that. And mm-hmm. I was like trying to, I sat with him on his couch for weeks studying and I'm like, let's do it in English. Let's do the Chinese one. Like, like he just couldn't answer them. And again, it was the same thing. I was like, you can't lose your license. Like now we're going to be stuck at home. And, and I, we were, we were not ready for a caretaker yet because of the cost prohibitive. It was so expensive. And so it was just those, like, it was years of like, of chasing what I, the inevitable. And he was deteriorating as, as everyone does. Like there's no Mm -hmm. reversing it. So, um, how old was he when he was diagnosed technically? I would, I think he was, let me see, he was 85. He was like 76. Wow. Yeah. Like it was later. Um, but dad's 77. I think he just turned 76 turning 77. So you feel like it's young. I know. Well, that's, I think it's young. Cause my dad's a beast. He can still build things and you yeah. know, he can outdo a 20 year old all day. Like yeah. I guess he's I having memory issues too in his mid eighties. But, um, so yeah, he was, yeah, like late seventies, but he, he retired like early seven, like he retired late. And I remember that was a struggle for him. And I think that was, um, that catapulted it. Like that was a catalyst to the beginning of the end for him because it's like all he knew. He came mm-hmm. from China and he was like, came from communist China and just worked, worked, worked. And it was, a, it was a very stable sort of, he went to the office every day in Mission Hills, off Rinaldi, like Valley Kids, and then came home. Like that's what he did. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to retire because he's at this age. But then he had nothing to work with. He had nothing. He would just sit and watch like, literally watch, we'd watch Lakers all day and night and just round the clock. And cause my dad never had hobbies. Mm-hmm. He was an immigrant. You don't pay. And my, I remember my mom's like, go golf. And my dad's like, I'm first of all, I don't golf in my seventies. I'm not going to pay for it. Cause he, we just didn't grow up with extra, you know, my dad was not going to spend his extra now in his late years. He was going to try to save on every penny for us. So he didn't have those extracurriculars, which I do believe helps. I think I, I, what I'm starting to discover is everything helps. 
you know, when it comes to food, it comes to lifestyle, it comes to environment, it comes to, um, I mean, global warming is part of it and what's in our environment, that kind of stuff. Like, I think all of it is part of it. But um, yeah, it was a very, very painful experience. Um, and it lasted about nine years. Nine years. Yeah. And I think that's actually the average uh, person with Alzheimer's from diagnosis to death is nine years. Wow. So what did you guys do? Because right now someone's going to look at you and they're like, you're on housewives and you know, you're doing great. And, but this was before that. This was before that. Yeah. Yeah. But even we always had like, like, I'm so lucky that Rob like was so supportive and helped my family. But like my, my dad was a, like an oral surgeon, but that's, that was our only income. It wasn't, you know, and I, it was not like, we didn't have a lot, any access. And so, um, we lived, um, we had to sell their house. Like it was, it was a lot. We, it was not, it wasn't like, oh, let's just put him in a home. That's like so fancy. The thing is my dad. There aren't fancy homes either. That's the hard thing. Like the nursing home situation is a disaster. A hundred, like that's actually like a business that really needs to like. Uh, Crystal, if you want to do it with me, I am like one of my things lately. I have another friend whose dad is in a nursing home, almost died because they weren't paying attention to him. And they just, I understand their side of it. Yeah. And I understand the patient side of it, but it has to get fixed. Yes. I'm down with it. We Ugh. we have discussed for many years. Well, that was part of one of our, the journey of like, maybe we'll build a business in with this because there's no place that feels safe for them, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's aging homes and then you have to put them in memory care because that's a different level. And, and it doubles the price because it's 24 hours because mm-hmm. they wander. So it started with my dad, um, in this big house that I grew up in and, and we lived like in a, you know, like a house in Northridge, big Valley house. And then, um, it started to feel like he was, it just, we, they had to move. It was too much, the house. And then I, we bought them, um, like a, a condo in Sherman Oaks and very modest. Um, but we bought the top floor because we knew my dad would get up in the middle of the night and roam around. So we're like top floor is the best because it will take a lot of stairs and for him to try to escape. Yeah. And at this time we hired someone to live in with us and she was Chinese. So, cause my dad just really just stopped speaking English at that point. Like, could, like you could only converse in Chinese. And that was another problem because anytime we looked at a home, there's no Chinese speaking place other mm-hmm. than, I mean, we got to a point where like, should we move him to China? Like it was crazy. It's a whole other barrier. Wow. It was a lot. And then, um, we bought them a place and he, he, um, he um found his way out oh my god um and then he got lost for like six hours and we had helicopters like the police were searching for him and we would always have um like something in his wallet with his phone number but like he didn't know that he can't remember that he has something to keep him safe and it was a random la day that started raining and so my dad just Um, we got a call from the police saying, um, we found him and you know, you, you think of the worst, you think of the worst. And, um, 
a man, a liquor store owner found him like standing outside and it was raining and he was in the rain and he brought him inside. And, and so he walked like seven miles down Ventura and um, he found him and he, he said, do you have a wallet? And I'm sure my dad was scared, you know, but he found the phone number and then called and then we found him and we brought him back and his feet were all blistered because it was raining and, and he walked um, barefoot. I said, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, why? Why is, he was looking around, there's police everywhere and our family. And, and he's like, why is everyone so worried? What's going on? Like, why is everyone here? And it was like, so sad. And at the same time, I felt like, thank God he doesn't remember the fear of, but it's like, that's Alzheimer's patients. They are, that's why they act out because they are constantly in fear because they're constantly confused. You know, like imagine every every two minutes not knowing what happened two minutes ago right you're just it's groundhog's day so anyways i mean i didn't mean to get emotional but it's no how could you not yeah it was it was a very very rough go and every time we'd like and it was stressful my mom because my dad would wake up all night and so there was so many crazy stories like that um and here's the thing you I guess if you're like super wealthy, you can just pay your way to not, to not see it. Uh, That's not our family, like at all. We were, we were never going to do that. Even though I totally understand why people do. um, I do what exactly? Like put my dad in a home. We, we went through so many, like thinking about it. And then to see his fear of like, even when he comes to my house, he would, he'd be like, where's mom? Where's mom? Like he'd panic. And I, like he, and I was with him five, six days a week, nine hours a day. I mean, I spent a lot of time with my dad because my mom needed the breaks for the nighttime. Yeah. So it's like, I just couldn't do that to him. And I, and I just didn't want him to feel unsafe. So we, for the nine years he stayed with, um, we stayed together. And so when we were building this house, we were building him a place for him to live here, but he passed before we, that happened. But, um, yeah, it was a lot, a lot. And I just feel so bad for people that have to go through it. It's, I feel bad for the, the actual patient, but the family members suffer an incredible amount. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, like I would do anything to help people, you know, f- figure it out because, I mean, pour every dollar into like trying to get, you know, some kind of recovery from this or at least stop the process, you know, the deter- deterioration. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but 
It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. But yeah, yeah, he really, it was a lot of years of denial. Like it's a lot of years of denial, five years. Wow. We, we were like, he's just older. And then I would get mad at him. I remember in the beginning, like, why don't I just told you that, you know, like you just, it's, and you're mad because you deep down know what's happening. You just don't want to face it. Yeah. I had similar experiences with both my parents. My dad is type one diabetic and he would fall into low blood sugar comas on the regular and almost die. And we'd have to revive him. We had to be so in tune with him, my mom and I, to know psychically if he was okay, wherever he was. Wow. And it was, you know, the fire trucks, the ambulances at the house all the time. And he didn't know what was going on. So it was almost like he was drunk And we're trying to revive him and give him sugar to bring his sugar up. Or sometimes he was completely comatose and out and literally like on death's door. Um, But he would never remember either. And then with my mom, she got brain cancer. And at some point she regressed to like a childlike state and didn't really know what was kind of going on. Like in some cases she, you know, like there were, there were, we could talk normally, but she would do abnormal things. Like she would turn on the stove and almost like the house on fire. And I'd have to childproof everything. And she couldn't be left alone for a second. We were at a pumpkin patch. I remember here um, near my house 
And I turned to say hello to somebody. I'm like, oh my God, hi, nice to see you. Hugged her, hugged her husband. Me and my mom and dad, where's mom? Literally that fast. My mom had crossed a major four lane road and started walking on the on-ramp of the 101. Oh my God. And my assistant ran and found her. I go, I'm going this way, you go that way. And luckily found her. And the same thing didn't, had no idea what was going on and didn't think that that was abnormal. So these brain disorders are so challenging because there isn't, my mom uh, was diagnosed at 62. Wow. And so it was a five-year caretaking journey, um, which was really exhausting and uh, very challenging. Same kind of things where you just, you have to babysit 24-7. Yeah. And no one will ever understand that pain, that agony, that fear, the traumas, unless you go through it. Yeah. Um, Because it doesn't, there's no relief. No. And so it's, it's every second and through the night and it just starts all over again the next day. And, and I, I, I had my kids during this time and I was, it was so exhausted. I was so exhausted. I don't know how you did it. It was, it's, I'm so sorry to go. I mean, but this is really, like you said, it's the caretaker's journey. Yeah. You know, and I didn't even live with him. It was my mom and I suffered a lot. My, my husband, we all suffered. It was, and we didn't even have to do half the battle. Of yeah. like shift. And that's the thing. My mom became essentially a nurse. Mm-hmm. Like you know? most people, yeah. it's usually the daughter and the mother. Yes. Um, for yeah. me, they lived here with us, but there were moments when they wanted to go back home. So they would go home for a couple of months and my dad would have to, you know, handle things. And then eventually she got, they both got COVID, but I needed a caretaker and it was excruciatingly expensive. And I was terrified because again, you don't know how long it's going to go. Yeah. And you you have to plan for 20 years. (laughs) <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> with Alzheimer's, you're really planning for 20 years with brain cancer. My mom had already beaten the odds living five years. You get six to 12 months. Mm. Um, but wow. it's, it's a lot and nobody can do it. Even, even wealthy people, it's that expensive. Yeah. Um, and that's something that needs to be fixed because the caretaking crisis is going to be so massive with dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, it already is. And there really is nowhere to go that's safe for your family. And unfortunately, you have no choice sometimes. Um, So it's something that's been in the back of my head for a long time is how do we fix this? How do we get relief to people? Because um, I'll tell you, I think the statistic is 43% of people caretaking for someone with Alzheimer's or dementia die before the patient. Hmm. I'm... Not surprised. Mm-hmm. At all. And that's a thing. Like when you think about like putting them in a home, like you want the best care, you want them to love them, but they're burnt out too. Money doesn't burn. Yeah. Like the money doesn't like make it easier. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I don't, I can't, I don't even know. 
where it's going to go. I don't, it's really awful. What did you guys eventually end up doing? Did you have to hire caretakers? Yeah. So I had had to live in who spoke Chinese and it was hard. It was hard. She and my mom would argue. We would, it was just, it was, I'd have to like mediate sometimes because I wasn't living there. And I'm like, mom, like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, like, just, it's just like the, you know, he, cause my, he didn't, my dad didn't want her around cause he didn't know who she was. Cause she came into his life well into his Alzheimer's mm-hmm. it always seemed like a stranger. Yeah. You know, where like, and it was just really, really painful. And I ended up, uh, my dad, we found he had prostate cancer, which again, it's like another thing that as you age, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But, um, that ultimately, that's what ultimately took his life at the nine year mark. But, um, it's, you know, you don't necessarily die from Alzheimer's, you die from complications mm-hmm. or that was one of them because my dad apparently was in like excruciating severe pain, uh, because the, the cancer got into his sacrum and, and he fell and it was, and we didn't, we discovered it that way, but if he didn't have, didn't have Alzheimer's, he would feel it and he would have expressed it to us. So that was like its its own issue. But once we found out he passed within a week, I mean, wow. Yeah. That was crazy. But at the same time, it was like, it was so sad, so awful, but it's not like we were, we didn't want him to live another 10 years, like in that state. Yeah. What was your grief process like? Because it's so complicated because as you said, you don't want him to keep living like this. Yeah. And then there's all these guilt feelings. I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff. So tell me how that was like for you. I mean, you start grieving the day you accept what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's really the day. That's the day they start dying in your mind because, um, nothing's the same anymore. They don't remember anything. You can't, you can't really reminisce anymore. Um, because we started, he would start reminiscing about things that didn't exist. Um, so he wasn't who he was. He wasn't this like awesome kind dad that, that was like, I put him on a pedestal, the surgeon that was just loved his patients. You know, he was just this child. Like you said, your mom went to childlike yeah. reactions. Like that's they who get bratty. It was rough. And I've never seen him angry. And he was luckily, I mean, relative to what I understand, like he wasn't, um, he didn't, he never got like violent. He wasn't like that. He was just always scared. I could feel like, mm-hmm. and so was frustrated and in fear. Um, but the grieving process, it was just ups and downs. Cause there were times where it's like, I don't want him to live anymore Yeah, because it becomes like, you don't want to live. Like you, you're too tired. You're too exhausted to live through this, you know? And then you're like, he, is he happy? Like, is how he doesn't want to live. But this was, this is a fascinating thing that his doctor told me, which literally scared uh, our family so much which is, uh, this is what's crazy about it. He said, you know, uh, many patients become, you know, agitated, violent, because they're in fear-based. There's a lot of patients like your dad, who, who many moments, in fact, most of the time was like, oh, I have nothing to worry about. Life is so good. And he would feel that way. And because they have no stress, they live longer. <laughs> 
And I was like, what? And you're like, your dad is so relaxed all the time. Other than when he, like, if my mom's around, he never felt nervous. So he would just be like, oh, I have no mortgage. My kids are grown up. And it, and, and he said that lack of daily stress is making your dad physically healthier. Like my dad's body was like getting better and better. And we were like, what? So he's like, as his brain was deteriorating, his body is getting stronger and healthier. So like, that was, I'm like, so that he might live for 20 years. I'm like in this state, like that was, yeah. So it's like crazy mixed emotions about it because you're not like looking like, especially someone I love so much, like to pass away, but you're also like, you can't live like this. Yeah. So, but the, ultimately the cancer is what, you know, and we hit nine years. Um, and I remember when we, he was in hospice and, you know, it was like morphine and all that. Um, my brother and I were on Ventura and Kester near where they lived. And we just took a walk. He was in that, you know, he was at this point, like, couldn't really talk back. And we just, we were like, what, what's going on? Like, we're now in hospice and we're now having to say okay to like drugs. And we've spent the last nine years doing everything for her survival and comfort yeah. comfort. And now we're like saying it's okay for him to go. And we just, my brother and I are like best friends. We're like the same people say we're the same spirit. That, that's a comment we get a lot. And we just stood outside and we decided to scream, just scream like as loud as we could. And, um, and I feel like you just need to do that in those yeah. moments. And we were like, didn't care who was around. And we screamed at the top of our lungs in like pain and fear and relief. And that's what you go through with these, uh, with brain deterioration. It's very challenging. And, um, and I remember we sat in their, the condo that we got for them, you know, and he was, he passed two days later and it was so quiet, so quiet. And we didn't know what to do because normally we're like chased, like trying to figure out what to do for him. And then we didn't have that. And there was like this, such a sense of relief yeah, for him and us. My mom, it was just such a wild. I mean, I haven't really thought about it since we've been talking about it. Yeah. It, it was a lot. It was a lot. I feel for you. I feel for anybody who has to just go through it. I know. It's, it sucks. Yeah. I remember feeling the same way. I spent five years devoting my every second to keeping her alive and beating the odds. And now I'm slowly saying goodbye to her. And, um, it's, it's a really painful journey. Um, and like I said, I know how much harder it is for people yeah. who can't even get the help that we were able to get. Um, so like we I had beyond money. It was, it's not money. We had a lot of family help. Like I, we always said that, you know, family help meaning like, like I have a living. Like Lucy is like my sidekick. So like Lucy took care of the kids all the time for me while I had to take care of my dad. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's how, how, you know, the ripple effect of the help that you need, you know, cause I suddenly have these two toddlers and, um, and it's to not 
I, I, I just feel so bad for people who don't have beyond the resources, just the family to like, want to make sure you're okay. Cause my dad, he, he left this earth very lucky. I mean, he had a lot of people who were like, who wanted every, everything for him, the best for him. So like, that's where he was very lucky in that way. Cause like a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. You know, so how has your mom been? How's she doing now? Yeah. She's very relieved and <laughs> she went through a lot and she's now with someone who's so awesome. Oh, wow. Chinese. And he's, um, he's so like respectful and he always refers to like my dad, you know, just like he's always these little speeches at dinner, like raising wonderful children, you know, and, um, and yeah, he's so great. So I'm very happy that she can have that now. Wow. Nice, happy ending for her. My dad for so long, you know, and then it's, you don't want to become someone's caretaker if you're their wife. Yeah. So she's really happy. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. I love, love, love that. How's your dad? He's doing great. Uh, the caretaker that I hired to help me in the last, uh, few months of my mom's life stayed to take care of him. Right. Because I've been taking care of both of them my whole life. Yeah. And so I had this weird kind of moment after my mom passed where I'm like, I don't have to worry about him. I don't have to worry about her. Who am I without all of this? Like you, you Mm. have like so many like identity things that you have to deal with too, because I literally was so hands-on for so many years and you know, then I got my break, which was really nice. And I feel he's, you know, they're two peas in a pod. They have so much fun together. She's an angel from God and a totally unique human that, uh, we're so blessed to have. Yeah. And so he's doing great. And that is just all we can ask for. Angel from God, people that choose this career. Mm Mm-hmm their hearts must be 5,000 pounds. I mean, <laughs> I, there's not enough money. I mean, there's not to do this kind of career. Yeah. It is you, your, your patience, your empathy have to just be explosively large because there it's, it's I mean, and, and I remember with um, her name is Eling our caretaker, I remember she would just break down and cry because she was like, you know, I hear your dad's tough on me, whatever, but like, I don't, I don't want to see him pass. Like I like that, that, that's also, it's like some people like they, they can love the process of moving someone into the next life. Like she is not, she wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. And so when it got to the end, she really struggled a lot. She, she'd rather take care of him you know, like when he, when he needed it, not, she wasn't like, Oh good. Now it's over. Yeah. That's, that's why they're so special. Yeah. I had the same thing with my caretakers. Like there was, um, uh, four of them at different points mm-hmm. when they were, you know, dealing with COVID and they all were, they would cry right next to me. Anytime we thought that this was it or something yeah. was happening, they were so emotional right next to us. It's just, they really are. They're angels from God and we're so blessed to have them, but we need to find a better way. Like 
the system has to take care of us. You know, we insurance has to take care of things and take care of these people who are doing the work because it's like the chicken or the egg, right? The patients are going to be, you know, rough, but the the caregivers can be rough too, because they're only human. They can only take so much too. Well, I think that's what we really push our friends at a young age to get long-term care. It's vital because I remember long-term care and your insurance, which has, that's not available anymore. I thought, is it gone? It was. Yeah. No, someone had told me that it was available at one point and then they, it just didn't make economic sense so that they, well, I was going to say there's no way they could afford it at this point. Yeah. But so you have that. Well, I, I mean, I was hoping we'd. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to go check the paper. I'm going to have to check my insurance policy <laughs> Because I remember Rob was like, when this was happening, it was like so hard. You know, he was like, I would, you know, because Rob's older than me. So he, we had those tough conversations. Like, I remember one time he said to me, like, are you, do you look at me differently now? Because my Rob's 20 years older. I was like, no, I have been, now you're freaking me out, you know? But he's like, no, we need to have this conversation because I, you should not have to do what your mom is doing. Yeah. And what's, what's fascinating is that Rob's mom's 97 and sharp as a nail, lives alone. Like she teaches computer skills at, at 97. You know, uh-huh. To like older people in their like 60s. I mean, yeah, like he has incredible genes, especially when it comes to brain health. So we're always like, like, yeah, we're always trying to figure out what she does to like, yeah, it's incredible. (laughs) Um, But nonetheless, you know, that's, these are tough conversations, but they're Mm -hmm. important to have amongst your family members. Yeah. I'm It's like anything, finances, everything. It's like, you don't want to talk about it, but do it. And then you feel like you have a path. Yeah. Do you worry, Crystal, about Alzheimer's for yourself? Yes, yes I do. I, I've done like those DNA tests to see if there's markers and stuff. They come out no, but those are like the $100 spit test. Like, I don't know if that's real, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But I take like turmeric every day and like those kinds of things that I read about. But, um, you know, I also think when I when I look at specifically my dad, who was using his brain at capacity every day and then suddenly stopped. I always say like, if you can find a way to retire. And again, this is like my own personal theory. Cause I watched mm-hmm. it happen, like ease into it, you know, f- or make sure you have a hobby that is, you know, that you're working. Stimulating. Yeah. Constantly. Cause I, cause we started playing games with my dad by that time it was too late, yeah. but it has, it has to come internally. Yeah. Like my dad does crossword puzzles all the time. And yeah, I think that's really, really good. And it seems kind of basic, but it's not. And so finding passions, hobbies that will take you past retirement is very important. That's what I think is like one step, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, there's so much research, but you know, if my dad had that, if had he maybe like didn't fully sell his practice, you know, or just can't came to once a week or something to the office, some stimulation. I think that would have helped. Yeah. But yes. I do freak out about it. And, and I don't have a great memory. Like, never did though. Right. Never did. Okay. So then that's, I, yes, I know, you know it's not like recent, yeah. um, but I, I'm, I love education. 
I am constantly researching and studying things and like, I love it, but I don't have a great memory. So Mm -hmm. it does, it does like, I do think about it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing things to, to keep in the right direction of it all. And you're nowhere near retirement because you do have uh, a lot of amazing stuff you're working on. In fact, your real cocoa line, I'm very excited to try because I noticed that the coconut cream doesn't have a lot of sugar. Yeah. Because the thing with coconut water is it has so much sugar. Can you please tell us why? Um, they're natural sugars. We are, my brand does not add a, an, a, a whatever they're called, like a shard. Even of, a granule. A granule of sugar. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's really about when you harvest the coconut. And so we, our coconut water is sweet, but it's not overly, but it's like any fruit, right? Yeah. You develop the sugars naturally. So some things are just going to higher grams and sugar. So like when you see like, you know, the nutrition facts, like grapes have a certain, like it might actually be a couple calories different because it depends on when you harvest them. When you taste a grape that's sweeter, that's going to have more sugar in it. I didn't know that though. Yeah. It's like not, it's like, if it tastes sweeter, it's sweeter. I didn't know if people were adding sugar to these coconut waters. Some do. Yeah. Yeah. Many do actually. We don't. Um, Because the older the coconut is, the more bitter it is. And so they might find older farms or older coconuts from farms. It's like, you know, when they process juices and they like take all the scraps, like those, you know, like those. No, tell us. Okay. (laughs) I don't know anything about it. Oh, oh my God. Okay. So, so I'm not going to name any, any brands, but if you go to the market and you see like, you know, green juice or whatever, or like strawberry banana, they're using um, bruised and older fruit, which is fine. It's all good because people, but people don't like to buy that. They don't like the look of it, but they buy all those like bruised apples and stuff. And then they blend them and make juices. So we like to buy things that look nice, right? Got it. So that's, but like when we harvest our coconuts, we just find the perfect, our, our, in our minds, the perfect moment where it balances sweetness um, versus not. Uh, but yeah, we don't add anything to our coconuts. So why did you start this company? Um, it was really, it kind of came to me. So my brother, um, and my best friend, they were living in China at the time. And um, my my best friend, who I grew up with in LA, he is Greek. No way. Yes, he is. What's his name? Brian Bardos. Oh, cool. I yeah. don't know him. That's yeah, weird. He's, he's Greek. We know each other. <laughs> he's very Greek. And um, he's my best friend growing up. I brought him to China um, when my brother was studying abroad when we were in high school just to visit. And cause our moms are best friends. He's like another brother. And then he fell in love with China, ended up learning Chinese and then moving to China as like a, literally a Greek kid, fully Greek. He's not mixed. He's Greek. No way. Yeah. Yeah. He went to USC, studied Chinese, the whole thing. And then he started like working. Cause you know, when you have a non-Chinese face, you're like valuable there. Like, mm-hmm. like, Oh, you are clearly American where if I work there, they still look at me as Chinese, like Chinese um, national. Right. Mm -hmm. So he started working in manufacturing and then called my brother and said, Oh, I have, I, you know, there's this business opportunity. And then my brother called me and was like, we're going to be in China. You do this 
the U.S. side. I was like, okay, so we just started this in our 20s <laughs> and we had like no debt. We just did a grassroots, did not know what we were doing. And um, yeah, we're very, very proud of it. We're in so how old is the Costco. company now? What's that? How old is the company now? Uh, 11 years. Whoa. And so you're at Costco, you said? Yeah, we're in every Costco right now. Is that like an exclusive place that it's at? And then? No, we're on Amazon. We're at all like, I think we're like Erewhon and all those stores and stuff like that. Yeah. But Costco is like a very big, you know, it's massive for us, which is great. And we're going to be in a couple more massive stores very soon this year. So we're really proud of it. Like it's, it's really a family business. The Chinese Greek family. That's so cute. I love it. Yeah. And it's like fun to work with my family and my best friend. And so um, did you get to highlight it on uh, Real Housewives? No, I haven't. I hope so. I I hope I can. Because that's, I mean, that would really go gangbusters. Isn't that why everybody does the show? So they can launch the businesses. It's funny though, because I remember when they called me, I didn't, I didn't mention it. And then after they asked me to, it was six months and I never talked about it, but I don't know why I didn't talk about it. I think because I didn't want them to think I was using it for it because uh-huh. we didn't just launch. I mean, we were like, we're like a big brand already, mm-hmm. um, an established brand. And so I feel like the show was, is designed for new brands. Anyway, so like they came over here, all the production after they asked me to do the show. And I was like, I had, you know, a bunch of drinks and they're like, oh, what is this? And I was like, oh, it's my brand. And they're like, you have a coconut water company. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And they were like, you really don't want to do the show. <laughs> Cause I was like really reluctant. Um, and they're like, this would have been, we're like, we know you don't want to do the show because this would have been the first thing anyone else would have said. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very protective of it too. Cause I didn't know, I think that's maybe what it was. Like, I didn't know what I would look like on the show and I didn't want to hurt the brand. Ah, smart. So it's also like its own thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not based on being a housewife. It's not like, attached to it, you know, where some brands feel very much like housewives product. This was already, I mean, I think we've sold 150 million bottles. Of wow. So it's not like, yeah, you just have to, be, I'm very protective of it. That's my number four, first and foremost. So what was your hesitation on joining? What were your fears <laughs> before joining? And then did any of them materialize? Yes. Everything Everything materialized yeah. 100% worse than I thought. No way. Also better. I mean, I don't know. Like I was like, I've never been on TV. And even though like I married a Rob, like it doesn't mean anything, you know, it's like you marry, you marry a doctor, you can't suddenly do surgery, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, so I was scared. I was, you know, I'm very protective, obviously my family and I want them to always be seen well and seen for like who they are. I didn't want to exploit them. And so I'm very protective of that. And I just, you know, being the first Asian person on the show, I wanted to like represent properly. And it was like a lot of pressure, you know, like to represent for all Asians. And Rob would be like, you just represent yourself. You can't represent every single Asian person, you know, but I felt that way. And, um, And so, yeah, but it's hard because it's, you know, you're in a mix of women who you wouldn't necessarily hang out with Mm -hmm. at the same time, 
genuinely, because that's who I am, like trying to forge real friendships and real connections um, and really get to like the root of people. But sometimes it's hard to do it on this, a show like this, you know, because I think, I think a lot of people are also guarded because they don't know who's coming in or what your intentions are. So it's just, it's like a minefield, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, it, there's a lot of like positives or a lot of fun moments and, um, you know, getting to highlight Chinese new year and those kinds of things. And hopefully I'll be able to, now I, now I feel like I've got my feet in the mud and understand what it is. Like it would be fun to show Rococo. Um, but if it doesn't, it's also okay. It's a brand that it exists and it's fine. You know, my brother's always like, be careful <laughs> the brand. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I, um, I, I wonder, are you excited for this next season? As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps a bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, They keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. I don't know yet, (laughs) Um, but um, we'll have to see. (laughs) Okay. Um, I I had so many things we were going to talk about that we didn't end up getting to. So hopefully you'll... um, you'll oblige us and come back. Cause I still wanted to dive into the culinary school and all of that. Um, I know that's, and I know I mean, when it comes to like, when it comes to the brain stuff, brain health, like, you know, we could probably talk about that for 10 hours. It's a lot, sure. There's so much detail about it, but yeah, I would love to talk about all that stuff. It, it's all, yeah. you know, yeah, well, you'll have to come when studio is built, but we'll finish with some real housewives, which is, uh, Lisa Rinna apparently yeah. is officially leaving. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I feel like that was her decision. I know she had a really hard season and, you know, it's hard on everybody. The show can be really challenging and to do it for eight years. Like, I just think what my life would be like in eight years, like <laughs> it's, it's too much. So, you know, I think everyone needs to decide when it's time to like, shut the door on something, but, you know, with Lisa's career, this was just one iteration of, you know, of like a long, long career on television. So I don't think this is like the end of her anything. This is just the end of the show. Mm -hmm. Did you have fun with her? Yeah, I had fun with her. I was challenged by her. I was challenged by, you know, some things that she said, but I'm challenged by everybody in some things they say. So, um, but yeah, we had our fun moments for sure. I mean, a lot and off camera too. So, but I, you know, it's that the show doesn't, when I walked into the show, they were very clear. Like there's always that someone leaves, always someone comes in. 
it's a revolving door type of show. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to kind of get used to that idea of like, it's like, you know, when you film something, right? Like you guys get really close. It's like mm-hmm. out at camp and then everyone leaves and it's like you're devastated, but then it's like you come back to camp and there's a new group. Yep. And so that's sort of what happens. Uh, the other thing we heard is that one of the 14 friends that dropped you for joining the show is going to be joining. Is that true? Um, I, I don't believe so. <laughs> you heard it. Right? Yeah. No, 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 not true. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to say, I don't know. Okay. But, but hold on. But if it's true, could be true. I really welcome it wholeheartedly. Cause you're ready. Well, I, great to clear up a story that's sort of elusive and interesting. I would love it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, we, it's funny just before we started, Elsie was showing me the video that Rob directed (laughs) of me. And I feel like Rob and I talked about it recently, like in the last year or two or something. Yeah. Cause remember we, we were somewhere each other was it an Irina meta voice maybe or we were somewhere and and you brought it up and uh and so Kelsey showed me the video I hadn't seen it I think maybe we did see it that night and I forgot but anyway um it's leading to a really funny social post we're gonna do about like how many music videos have I been in and oh my god I remember seeing oh you were gosh I mean you still are crazy stunning but I Thank was you. so intimidated. Like, I was like, wow, like she's so beautiful. Oh, well, and so I was, are you. I was like, I was in college then. I was in pre-med then and we were dating and I was like, oh, and I was, was like the first time on a set. It was like very exciting. It was so fun. That's so funny. I, <laughs> I was telling Kelsey, I'm like, I don't remember. Like normally I remember what I wore, what I did. I'm like, I don't remember anything. But you that was such a blur. It was a very quick like, I remember you came in, it was a one day shoot. Yeah. And you came in towards the end. Yeah. It was like a long night. Yeah. It was a late <laughs> night. Scene. Yeah. So I remember that. I, yeah. That's, That's so funny. Coming. But it's so funny. Rob had just met Proz through someone else. And then all of a sudden he was like, will you, will you direct a music video for me? And Rob's like, I don't really do that. <laughs> um, but he, he was, he was directing Haunted Mansion for Disney at the time. And then he asked, can I have like a day off to do this like funny thing as a favor? And so he did it and he had so much fun. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. We're going to put the info on uh, Real Coco in the summary of the episode, along with your Instagram and everything. Um, and then you and I should just grab lunch at some point. I know, we should. And talk our ideas, our big ideas for nursing homes and caretaking systems. I'm and telling whatever. you, we really like, I remember coming home one day and my brother and Rob had like, they were like air playing it on the screen and they were going through like numbers because we were trying to figure out if we can get buy a home, put my dad in it. And then we have the caretakers we choose. And then we would have like three or four more patients there Mm -hmm. that would mitigate the cost. Cause we're like, we don't want to make money. We're just trying to see if we can come out even by buying this bear. You know, it was like, that's a great idea. It's like homeschooling, right? Getting a pod together. It's a pod. 
Yeah. So like, how do you do it in a way that keeps huh. the price affordable? Um, and then you sort of choose your own caretakers within that pod. It's no different than, but like oh, doing those tours of those homes are just, we'd walk out like and cry. It's like, we can't put, and they were just like comatose sitting there. Like what? It was so bad. Yeah. And like he doesn't deserve a life like that, that what he's given us. Like work so hard. Like you can't live the end of your days like that. Yeah. So, I know. And unfortunately there's no choice 99% of the time. But there's a massive opportunity and need. Yeah. For like, oh, it's only home. getting worse. So we're going to sit down. Okay. And especially before you start filming, because then you're going to be too busy, but let's get together. Cause I'm just, I'm curious, like maybe there's something we can figure out. We're, we're, we're bright ladies that <laughs> I think, uh, would have a lot of support from a lot of people because everybody needs this. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent in. Okay. Sounds Sorry good. I cried so much. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like so Do terrible. not feel bad at all. <laughs> I cry all the time too. And listen, our parents are everything. Yeah. All right, friends, that does it for us today. Don't forget to check out Monday Motivations and Intentions on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where we give you a quick five to 10 minute, start your Monday, start your week off right with some really great wisdom and inspiration and tools to make your day great. You can get that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, like I said. Also, don't forget our merch is live on mariamenunos.com. Go get yourself a mug or a Heel Squad sweatshirt or an RGF sweatshirt. Got to promote RGF too. Uh, in the meantime, be nice people, make good choices, and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Hill Squad, we have been on quite the journey together and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you.